0: Welcome to the Fairfax Church Podcast. We're a community in Fairfax, Virginia, following Jesus. We upload new messages every week, and to learn more about us, visit us at fairfax.cc. Enjoy the message. So we're starting a new series this week, and it's a a series uh, in the book of Job. And what's interesting is that I've never preached a series on Job before. I was telling the the, uh, the 915 uh, group that uh, I about seven years ago, I went back through the records of all the sermons that I've preached that I have a record of uh, since I've been at Fairfax, just to kind of find out uh, where I tended to spend a lot of time in terms of focus in terms of scripture and where maybe are some areas or some books of the Bible that I haven't dealt with quite as much. And uh, I I come to find out that I've never preached a series on the book of Job. Um, And I've done sermons, individual sermons that have been like from a particular verse, uh, but I've never actually done a series uh, on Job. And so I'm really excited. And I feel like God is just kind of in the timing of this for lots of different reasons that I won't go into uh, right now. But I just feel like God is in the midst of this being the time that we deal with this really, really important book. Let me just give you a little context uh, for those that may not be particularly familiar with Job. Job was a guy that, as we read through the book, uh, Job was a guy who had everything going for him in life. He was a man of God. He had a big family amazing family was wealthy had incredible influence and then in an instant it just all falls apart life just life just falls apart and he endures wave after wave after wave of just some really really awful stuff and we'll read about some of that uh today he loses all of his wealth his entire family is killed uh and then on top of all that uh, his health he begins to fail. He begins to lose his own uh, health. And in the midst of all of this, Job wrestles with the question that I think all of us wrestle with when we deal with that kind of struggle and difficulty and hardship and all of that. And it's the question of why. Like, why why me? Um, why now? Why this? why Like, why am I going through this and how can an all-powerful good God allow this to happen Uh, to me it doesn't seem fair it doesn't seem just where is God in the midst of all of this and the reality is about life is that there's nothing more certain than that you are going to face some really difficult circumstances in life um read a book a number of years ago that um had a huge influence on my life and I won't go into the, about the book, but the the book starts with three words. Life is difficult. And the premise really of everything else in the book is that if you don't begin with the premise that life is difficult, then you will always live a life of being kind of surprised and disenchanted or, or feel like when stuff goes wrong, like if you have the premise that life is easy, then when life gets difficult, you think that something's wrong. Something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with your faith. Something's wrong with the people around you that are supporting you, that you're in relationship with. Something's wrong with God. Something's wrong because your premise is that life is easy. But when you start with the premise Uh, And it's actually not a pessimistic premise, it's actually a very optimistic premise, that life is difficult, that this side of heaven, that life is difficult. Then you begin to experience the fullness of life and the joy of life, even in the midst of things that can happen in life, this side of heaven that can be really, really hard. There's um, stuff that's going to happen that is just difficult, stuff that you didn't expect, things that you didn't plan for, it could be health stuff, the loss of a loved one, some kind of disaster, a relational crisis, a financial crisis, some profound disappointment that you go through, some form of violence that you experience, and the list just goes on and on and on. And when we suffer, it's just so natural to ask that question, why, why me, why this, why now? Why them for people that we love and are going through difficult times? Why them? And if you read the book of Job or listen to a sermon series on Job and you hope to get a definitive answer to that question of why, like you will be incredibly disappointed because the book of Job is not really focused on answering the question of why people suffer or why do good people suffer or, or why am I suffering? Or why are those people that I love suffering? Like when we were talking about titles for this series and was saying, okay, you know, are we just going to call it Job or, uh, you know, we ended up calling it the wisdom in the book of Job, or the wisdom from the book of Job. Uh, but we looked at like different titles, like maybe we should call it, why do bad things happen to good people or, Why do we suffer? Whatever. But the reality is that's not really what Job is dealing with. And those aren't really the questions that Job is dealing with. Like the question that he is dealing with is not the question of of why people suffer or why do good people suffer or how can I avoid suffering or how can the people that I love avoid suffering or why do... Bad things happen to people that are good. None of that. The book of Job is actually focused on another question. And that question is this. How do I suffer well? How do I suffer in a way that reflects the presence and activity of God in my life? How do I go through what I'm going through in a way that recognizes God's presence and activity in the midst of my suffering. Now, the book of Job is a part of what is called uh, wisdom literature in the Bible. It's a genre of literature in the Bible. And it's in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures. And wisdom literature is a, a number of books in the Hebrew scripture in the Old Testament that are part of this this genre called wisdom literature. It includes Psalms is part of wisdom literature. Book of Proverbs is a part of wisdom literature. And Job is part of that. There's a number of other books that are part of that as well. And Job specifically is about helping the people of God live wisely in a world that we often experience profound pain in. That's why I entitled the series Wisdom from the Book of Job and not Answers from the book of Job or action plans to avoid suffering from the book of Job. At its core, Job is a poem. Now, if you know anything about poems, you know that poems are written to communicate truth at a level that goes beyond the cognitive and it it touches the heart. It it gets to the, the affective. of our being the the emotional part of our being Uh, people sometimes argue about whether Job like was a historical figure or not there's been like all kinds of conversations about that and commentators talking about is he a historical figure or not they argue about whether the story of Job is literal or whether it's more of a parable that's being told and people will argue about that the reality is that it, it doesn't matter like it really doesn't matter where you kind of come out in terms of that the book of Job is a poem that invites us to find wisdom in the midst of our own painful and confusing circumstances and rather than providing simplistic answers which is oftentimes what we provide or hear when we're going through Difficult times. The book of Job actually enters into our pain. It enters into our anger. It enters into our questions. It enters into our doubts. And it invites us to trust the God who weeps with those who who weep. And the God who is able to redeem, if we allow him to, is able to redeem absolutely anything. Now, Job consists of three main dialogues. There's the dialogue that we're gonna take a look at today and that's at the very beginning of chapter one. It's the dialogue, this dialogue that takes place between God and Satan. And then the second dialogue and this dialogue actually runs for most of the book. If you you look at the book of Job and you look at these three dialogues, you realize that the second dialogue is the one that like takes the whole book and it's the dialogue between Job and his friends. And I, I put friends in air quotes because job's friends are the worst possible friends in the history of the world they are awful friends and and what's interesting uh and this like we won't probably preach this uh, but when you get to the end of job before there's this conversation because the final dialogue is conversation between job and god before you get to that uh god just goes after his friends And like, if you're reading through Job and you've been listening to the stuff that his friends have been saying all of this time, just emotionally, you get to the end of the book and God goes after his friends and you just are like going, yeah, take them down. Like they have just been saying some really, really uh, awful stuff and some not truthful stuff. And so, so there's these three dialogues that that happened in the book of Job. Chapter one uh, begins with the dialogue between God and Satan. And we're gonna jump in at, at verse eight. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless, he's upright, he's a man who fears God and he shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge of protection around him and his household and everything that he has. You have blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. Uh, In other words, lots of prosperity. (laughs) You provided lots of prosperity for this guy. But stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything that he has Is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, on the surface, and for some of you who are hearing this for the first time, like on the surface, that sounds like a horrifying dialogue. Like it sounds like God and Satan are just kind of playing a game with this poor guy, Job. It feels like they are betting on how job is going to respond to difficult situations but again remember this is poetry and it's dramatically trying to communicate a very important point about evil and suffering in the world and the point is this god does not cause suffering that's the point that is trying to be made by this opening dialogue in the book of Job is that God does not cause our suffering. None of the suffering that we read about in Job is God's idea. This is all Satan's idea. It's Satan it, Satan's idea that all of these bad things would happen to Job. It's his perverted creative mindset that's coming up with all of these things and inflicting all of these things God is not the causational agent for any of the suffering that we read about in Job. Satan is the one causing all of this. He is the causational agent for every awful thing that happens in Job and that's such an important point because God is not the one who causes us to experience hurt or pain or death, or loss, or violence, just to see how we will respond. God doesn't say, I want to see how Rod responds to getting stage four lung cancer. So I'm going to give Rod stage four lung cancer just to see how rod will respond to it all of the suffering all of the pain all of the hard stuff that we go through is ultimately the result of sin we've talked about that before it's either the result of our sin like we do something stupid and then there's painful consequences that we experience because we do something stupid Or because of the sin of someone else, someone else does something stupid and then we pay the price for the stupid thing that they do. Or we sacrificially are trying to respond to the sinful thing or the the stupid thing that they have done and that inflicts pain on us. Or it's because we just live in a broken, sinful world that is not the world, according to Scripture that God created when he created it in the garden. And it's not the world that it will be when Christ comes back in all of his fullness. It's one of those three things that all of the suffering that we we experience is, is because ultimately of sin, either our sin, someone else's sin, or just the fact that we live in a broken, sinful world. That is not the way that God created it to be by the way I haven't given you an update recently on my health and I thought since I mentioned uh, all of that uh, maybe this would be a good time so it's been um, some of you are new you don't know any of this and you're going wow I didn't even wasn't even aware Rod was going through this others of you have like traveled uh, journeyed with me through this it's been 22 months since my diagnosis Twenty. Two months can I just give a, uh, an amen for that 22 <laughs> months still here still here 22 months and I just got all of my uh, most recent scans back so I get scanned all the time And it's this cycle uh, that they go through, and so uh, I get an MRI brain scan, I get a CAT scan, I get a bone, full body bone scan, and then they do a blood test that measures the presence of cancer in your body. And the most recent uh, scans and blood tests and all of that, the most recent ones, have come back all clear there. Yeah. So at this, at this time, there is no evidence of any cancerous activity at all in my body. God continues to heal my body. And, um, and I give him praise for that and glory for that and celebrate that and, um, want to testify to it. And, uh, and want to continue to thank you for your prayers. I know so many of you pray for me on a daily basis, on a regular basis. And I so covet those prayers and pray that you would continue to, to pray uh, and to kind of walk with me through this journey. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all of that. Now, not only does God not cause our suffering... God's mission is actually to eradicate suffering. Like to ultimately eradicate suffering. We know that ultimately God will do that. That ultimately God will eradicate all suffering. That's what the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. That's what Jesus secured when he died on the cross and rose from the grave. And one day when Christ returns, that eradication of suffering will be realized in all of its fullness. And that's what John the Revelator is talking about in John 21, when he reminds us of this. When Christ returns, he says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more cancer, no more Alzheimer's, no more heart attacks, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this stuff down, John, for these words are trustworthy and they are true. So in the meantime, like that's, that's where all of this is headed. That, that, that God's ultimate mission is that all of this pain and suffering and hurt and all of that will one day ultimately be completely and totally eradicated. So what about in the meantime? And what about us in the meantime? And what is our responsibility in the meantime as we live in this broken, sinful world? What's the responsibility of those who are a part of this mission that Jesus is on And are we simply to passively wait for this time to come when everything and all suffering is eradicated or is there something more? And the answer is there is something more. We are to align with God's mission and do everything we can in the meantime to eradicate suffering on the face of the earth. So when my doctors, when the oncologists, when the researchers When the medical community, when the people, the really smart people that work at trying to figure out how to respond to awful stuff like cancer and other diseases, like when they do their work, whether they have connected the dots or not, personally, to know that they are doing the work of God, they are doing the work of God. They are aligning with God's mission to eradicate suffering. When we work for peace, we are aligning with God's mission to eradicate suffering. When we feed the hungry, when we care for the sick, when we clothe the naked, when we visit those in prison, we are aligning with God's mission to eradicate suffering. But scripture is clear. Suffering is not going to be completely and totally eradicated until Christ returns. Until then, we are going to have to deal was suffering and that was especially true for Job a lot of horrible stuff happens to Job and I'm going to read to you what we read in chapter one and it's just the first wave of what happens to him but it is incredibly painful starting in verse 13 one day When Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. And they put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was speaking, Yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. Then suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Wave after wave after wave after wave. And probably none of us, have experienced quite the combination of the things that Job experienced. But probably a lot of us have gone through seasons, and maybe some of us are in one of those seasons right now, where it does feel like wave after wave after wave after wave of really difficult stuff just keeps happening. And we just kind of wonder where is God in the midst of all of this. But in the midst of this, look at how Job responds. Now, Job responds in a lot of different ways as we look through the whole book. And he has his own emotional ups and downs as you would expect anyone has, and we all have when we go through difficult times. But he keeps coming back in essence to this, and he says it in different ways Throughout the book. But here in chapter one, this is how it says At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So through it all, Job never turns his back on God. He never denounces God. He never distances himself from God. He keeps engaging. He keeps communicating with God. He keeps worshiping God. Now there are three things I want to highlight from Job's response today. One is this. Lamenting, grieving is an act of deep faith lamenting grieving is an act of deep faith I want you to notice that that when Job gets this wave of awful news about everything that has happened to his family and to everything that he has and all of his losses and all of that immediately Job tears his robes and he falls to the ground and he cries out in pain to God He grieves in the midst of his pain. Grieving, or what the scripture often refers to as lamenting. It's all these psalms of lament that we read about in the book of Psalms, where David gives these, these songs of grieving and of loss and of pain, these psalms of lament. Lamenting our situation, grieving our situation, even even spending some time in the midst of that grief or in the midst of the, the, the grief of others, of people that we love, people that we care about, is not somehow a sign that our faith is not strong or that we don't trust God. It's just the opposite. I, I, um, the church that I grew up in, at times, at times, they would border on this, this kind of notion that grieving, lamenting, and faith were at two ends of a spectrum. And, and the more you lamented, the less faith you had. And the more faith you have, the less You lament. And that's simply not the narrative of Scripture. You don't see it in Job. You don't see it in Psalms. That that lamenting, grieving the painful things that we experience is part of a deep, deep and abiding faith in God. I was talking to Jessica Moore this week. Jessica is a member of our church who is a Palestinian Christian. Uh, Just to give you a little context, uh, her parents, Jessica's parents, run two schools that are located on the West Bank of Palestine. And for a number of years, they worked in uh, the Gaza Strip. Uh, Jessica uh, still has numerous friends that work in the Gaza Strip. And as you can imagine, um, as with so many people from so many different backgrounds and perspectives, Jess's pain and sorrow and anger has run deep as she has watched everything unfold over the last two weeks. Just as there has been deep pain on the part of Jewish families who have experienced incredible loss and deep pain on the part of Muslim families that have experienced incredible loss. There's deep pain on the part of Christian Palestinians that have experienced profound and deep loss in the midst of all of this. And... Jessica wrote um, a psalm of lament that she shared with me, and I, I was so moved by it that I said, would, it, would you allow me, would you trust me um, to share this with the congregation? And she said, yes, absolutely. And uh, so I just want to share it with you. Lord, I'm suffering, and others are suffering. We confess that we are not good at this. I recommit to my practice of peacemaking. You are suffering. You feel the pain of every human, every mother, every daughter, every father, every son, every child. No human experience is outside you. No human narrative is foreign. Is distant, is other. In a world that is demanding, that is leaning into testing via explanation, allegiance building, I am at peace in your perfect incarnation. I am in anger. I spoke, but they did not listen. I warned, but they did not hear. I wept, and they pitied me. I argued, and they disagreed. I testified, and they tapped out. I prophesied, and they banished me. I stayed. I prayed. I prayed with the prophet's anguish. I pray, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And I pray for myself because I am not sure that they do not. I wrestle. Is everyone really just doing the best they can? I feel the cords of death around me, around you, around Gaza. There is no dome of protection. There is only endless vulnerability. If pain is an ocean, we are drowning. If hope is a beating heart, my God, my God, my mouth is a desert. You see. I do not need to explain, beg, prophesy, perform, defend, There is no wall between me and you. There is no violence between me and you. When I open up the doors of pain, you are already there. Your arm is strong and mighty. Your justice is as bright as the noonday sun. You can shake the walls of prisons. You can make the blind to see. I will call on you in our hour of need. And you hear the cries of your children in that. I stand fast. I call on you and I do what I can here on earth. It will not be enough. Your eyes are on them all. The hospitals, the wounded, the mourning, the hostages the children i will watch with you now i'm sure that there are lots of laments from people from all different backgrounds all different perspectives stories all Different, but people who are suffering incredible loss in the midst of this terrible, terrible situation in which no one ultimately wins. To lament is not a sign of weak faith. To lament, to grieve is a sign of strong faith. It's a sign that in the midst of our pain, We choose to stay connected to God. We choose to continue to communicate with God. We choose to continue to stay in relationship with him. Second thing is this. God is at work in the midst of our suffering notice that the very thing that Satan wanted to prove by bringing suffering into Job's life is the opposite of actually what happened. Like Job was bringing, uh, or God, uh, Satan was bringing suffering and evil into Job's life to get Job to do what? To get Job to curse God, to get Job to discredit himself and his faith, to to get Job to discredit God and his love, like that was the agenda of Satan in bringing about all of this suffering and all of this pain. But just the opposite happens. In the end, Job says, and we read this several chapters later, Job says, though he slays me, yet will I hope in him. And now here we are, thousands of years later, from when all of this was written down, when all of this was passed down from generation to generation as a part of oral tradition, and we are still talking about Job. We are still learning from Job. Satan got just the opposite of what he wanted. Now, here's the thing, and this is really, really important for us to understand, that recognizing that God is at work Is very different than saying this is why this happened. Recognizing that God is at work in the midst of awful things. Is very different than saying this is the reason these awful things happen. Job it's interesting. Job never finds out. About this dialogue that takes place. At the beginning of the book. Between God and Satan. He never finds out about that dialogue. He never has any idea that that dialogue goes on. In fact, to the very end, Job and his friends all thought that God was the one who caused all of this to happen. That's why Job says, though he slay me, talking about God job still thinks when he gets to the end of the book he still thinks god is the one who is causing all of this that god is the one who's initiated all of this and here's what's interesting god never corrects job or feels the need to explain why all this is happening now you would think because we look at it through our eyes you would think that when you get to this end of this discourse and Job, throughout this whole thing, has said all these things, functioned in all this way, believing that God is the one who has been the causational agent behind the suffering that he's going through. That the first thing that God would do is say, hey, Job, I need to clear something up with you. Like, I'm not the one who has caused this. Like, this is not how I function. This is not what I do. This is not how I relate to the people that I've created. But that is not what God does. God never goes down that path. He never addresses the... He never feels the need to explain why all this is happening. And it's a good reminder to us that we should not become preoccupied with figuring out the why of our own suffering or the suffering of others. Sometimes really well-meaning followers of Jesus. People that love Jesus, trust in Jesus, in the midst of really difficult situations, say some things that are well-intentioned, well-meaning, but really end up causing a lot of confusion and a lot of pain. Things like, you're going through this because God is wanting to teach you something like there's something that you haven't gotten yet and the reason you're going through this is so you can get what you haven't gotten yet and the reason you're going through this is so God can teach you whatever it is that is or the reason you're going through this is to draw you closer to God, Or the reason that you're going through this is to humble you. Or the reason you're going through this is to reorder your priorities. And what's interesting is that sometimes it's not other people that we say that to. We say that to ourselves. We go through a difficult time and, and we say, well, there, there must be something that I just haven't gotten yet. That God is uh, allowing this to happen so that I can finally get that. Or there, there must be some priorities that I need to get in order. Or there, there must be, um, uh, I, 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 it must be that I need to get closer to God and that's why he's allowing this to happen. And we do that same kind of self-talk. Just like Job we will never, ever realize the why of our suffering. The reality is when it comes to the why of our suffering, just like Job, we really don't have a clue. Like we really cannot be in the mind of God in the midst of all of that to really understand what we do know is that God is at work in amazing ways in the midst of our, of our suffering. And we just have to pay attention to what God is doing. Like that's our role. In the midst of difficult times, in the midst of hard times, it's, just to, it's not to try to figure out, oh, this is why it's happening. Oh, this is why I experienced this. No, it's just to say, God, I know that you are at work. I know that you have not abandoned me. You have not forgotten me. You have not forsaken me. I know that you are at work and I want to pay attention and I want to see what you are doing in the midst of this situation because I know that you are at work in the midst of even the most awful, terrible things that we can experience. God, where? Are you at work? I want to acknowledge where you are at work. I want to praise you for where you are at work and what you are doing. Third thing is this. Don't believe the lie. Now I want to take you back for a moment to the opening dialogue between God and Satan. God tells Satan that Job lives the kind of life that he's living Because he fears God or really the the Hebrew there that's used is really connotating love. That that God is saying to Satan, the reason Job functions the way he functions is he loves me. (laughs) It's a response of his love for me. And what Satan responds and says, no, 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 he doesn't doesn't love you. He, He just loves what you do for him. Like he's in love with what you do for him. He's in love with what you provide for him. He's not in love with you. Now what Satan is saying about Job isn't true about Job, but sometimes it is true about us. Satan is like the the king of of the half truth. And, And there is some like half truth in all of this because sometimes it's true about us. Have you ever had someone pursue you or treat you nice, or be loving towards you in some way. And then you realize that the only reason that they're doing that is to get something from you. Like they're looking for a job, or they're looking for some kind of advancement, or they're looking for you to support them financially in some way, uh, or for you to have sex with them, or whatever the situation is. And when they don't get what they want, they're gone. When they don't get what they want, they're no longer as loving as they were before. And sometimes we're like that with God. Like we love God more for what God can do for us rather than loving God just because of who he is. That's why suffering always brings to the surface the true nature of our love for God. Because just like with Job, when we suffer, a lot of stuff gets stripped away and we're just left with God. And we can sing about that. You know, all I need is you, Jesus, all I need is you, but it's not until all we have is him. It's not until all of the rest kind of gets stripped away, that we really begin to understand the character of our love for God. And that's exactly what happened when Jesus went to the cross. On the cross, everything was stripped away from Jesus. His health, his life, most of his friends... And in that moment, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, Jesus is forsaken by the father. And yet he never stops loving the father. And he never stops loving us. And for those of us who follow Jesus that... We're invited to love God the same way. Not for what God can do for us, not for what God can give us, not for what God can provide for us, even though he can do so much and he can provide so much and he gives so much, but to love him not because of all of that, but just for who God is. The God who loved us so much that he gave his life for us on a cross in the garden of eden satan does the same thing that we see him doing in job except in reverse instead of coming to god and saying that job doesn't really love you satan comes to adam and eve and says that god doesn't really love you so in job satan comes to god and says job doesn't really love you and in the garden of eden satan goes to adam and eve and says god doesn't really love you he tells them that the reason God doesn't want them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not because God loves them and he's trying to protect them and he cares for them it's because he doesn't love them it's because he doesn't want them to be as powerful as him he doesn't want them to be like him it's because he's trying to exploit them and they believe his lie in fact everything that happens All of the brokenness, all of the sin, all of it begins with Adam and Eve believing the lie of the serpent. Believing that God really doesn't love them. Really doesn't care for them. Really isn't there for them. Sometimes when we suffer, we begin to wonder the same thing we just begin to wonder, does God God really love me? Like, would I be, if God really loved me, would I be going through all of the stuff that I'm going through? Would I be facing all of this? And especially when we experience wave after wave after wave. And sometimes the question we have is not, does God love me or does God care about me or has God forsaken me or has God abandoned me? But the question sometimes is just like, is there even a God? Like if there really is this all-powerful, all-caring, all-loving, Would I be going through the stuff that I'm going through? And the message of Job is don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie. Like don't accept the lie. I mean, that's what the gospel is all about. The gospel is all about The fact that Jesus was forsaken so that you never would be. Jesus was abandoned in that moment on the cross so that you never would be. Jesus was forgotten by the Father in that moment so that you never would be. So don't believe the lie. Satan whispers in our ears in the the midst of difficult times. And he has whispered that at times in my ear. God doesn't care. God isn't there. God doesn't love. person next to you and and say that to them turn to them and say don't believe the lie okay now turn to them and say say it like you really mean it don't believe the lie all right now now shout it out so heaven can hear it don't believe the lie don't believe the lie god we we confess to you that when we go through really hard things that it raises all kinds of questions and we can hear sermons and we can read scriptures and all of that and it doesn't change the the pain the questions the hurt all of all of that and lord we know in the midst of of all of that that the enemy comes and 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 whispers the lies that can cause us to to turn away from the only source, the only one that can allow us to experience life and even joy in the midst of really difficult times. And so Lord, I pray I pray for two groups right now as we get ready to worship. I pray for those who have never known your love, never really embraced your love and what you've done for them on the cross. And so there's no way to, to know your love and experience your love in the middle of difficult times because they've never known your love in their life. And I pray that even in this moment that they would say yes to you and your love and what you've done for them on the cross and accept you as lord and savior and lord for those of us that are going through challenging times and it raises questions lord i pray that we would we would not believe the lie that we would recognize that that you experience all that you experience the forsaking of the Father, the abandonment of the Father, all of that so that we would never feel forsaken, we would never be abandoned, that we would always experience your love. And we pray this in the name of Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Fairfax Church Podcast. You can find more messages like this on our YouTube channel at Fairfax Church, or follow us here. If you were blessed by the message and resources provided, feel free to leave us a review.